0: Welcome to CompTIA's Shark Bites with Alan Shark, Vice President, Public Sector, and Executive Director of CompTIA's Public Technology Institute, where we explore tech leadership in the public sector. Hi there, this is Alan Shark, and welcome to another episode of Shark Bites and sharkbites.net. You can hear some background noise. We are here at the uh, National Association of State CIOs' mid-year meeting in National Harbor in Maryland, right on the Potomac River. And we're very fortunate today to have Eric Skomra, who is, uh, I'll, I'll explain his background in a minute, but he's one of those individuals that I've known for many, many years who has had experience in private industry, state government, and local government, both in cities and counties. Uh, so I want to welcome you first. Eric, thank you. Thank you so much, Alan. It's a pleasure to be with you. So Eric and I go back at least a decade in terms of knowing of each other and and working together where we can. Ken, right now, uh, I have you as state and local uh, government chief technology and innovation officer for Dell, and you've been doing this for four years. Um, You started your career, I guess, in in municipal government as the CIO of Marietta in Ohio, uh, CIO of Washington County, also Ohio, and you were the uh, CIO of... uh, Uh, Franklin County, the largest county uh, for their data center, the largest county in Ohio. You also were the state Medicare CIO. Medicaid. Medicaid CIO. Uh So you have that rare uh, career uh, background of being in private enterprise for over a decade, local government both state, uh, and now back in private enterprise with Dell in this beautiful position overseeing everything. I always start these conversations with Eric, how did you get involved with tech? What was it?
1: Well, Alan, uh, I started in tech basically when I was real little. I got my first Pong machine and learned to play Pong when I was just able to start using a controller, and then my family went ahead and got me an Atari, and then I got a Commodore 64, and I started to learn how to program, so I learned BASIC and Pascal programming. And then I went on to college, and when I went to college, I didn't want to do computers. I was completely not really interested in it, and I was blessed with the opportunity to work as a sales assistant at IBM while I was at college, so that really got me the bug. I really wanted to get into computers after that. So I started uh, basically with playing games and then went on to learning how to you know, really implement computers in a way that
0: can positively impact people. What an amazing uh, career. I happen to have, not the Commodore, I had the (laughs) K-Pro2. So, it looked like the doomsday machine by today's standards, (laughs) you know, because it had a handle and you could carry it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, right now you seem to have an ideal job in terms of looking at state and local government uh, in terms of technology and innovation. So I have to say, you've been doing this for a while, what are the big things that people come to you for advice on? Oh, Alan, it's so varied. I I work
1: with 17 states and four provinces in Canada, and I work with state, city, and county officials. And what they come to me about can be anything from how to best implement a system for managing traffic flow in a city, or what are the best ways to do uh, an artificial intelligence implementation to leverage the capabilities of artificial intelligence for a state system that needs a overhaul, or how to implement a digital human interface for a website. It's very varied and that's something that I very much appreciate and really enjoy because it keeps me, it keeps me uh, on the forefront of what's going on and what's possible. And I get, to, I get the benefit in my position to be able to bring new and innovative solutions to customers that may not have necessarily thought of that or they may not have necessarily understood that it was possible. So it's, it's an exciting opportunity and really a, a really wonderful
0: role. It sounds like uh, a dream job. Uh, are you able to go outside of Dell in terms of offerings when you are talking to people? I, you know, I'm just trying to get a sense of the depth in which you can help a local government.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, what I do is I watch what's happening across the world, and Dell has many, many, many partners that want to and do implement their systems on Dell hardware, and Dell works with them to make sure that their systems are performing at peak performance so their customers are happy. And so that consequently gives me the opportunity to work with those partners and bring their solutions to our customers. So what that does is that gives me the opportunity to show our customers how it is that these new innovative solutions
0: that our partners are producing can benefit them. So organizations like CompTIA and PTI we're very happy with our our Dell branded hardware i mean that's that's our product of choice i think many people see that and they don't realize the much larger enterprise that you're representing
1: yes absolutely you know it's 165,000 people across the globe we you know we're in Basically every country and pretty much most, if not all, government institutions utilize our equipment and our services and a lot of people don't realize the tremendous amount of services that we do for different customers uh, because, you know, everyone is pretty much aware that we produce desktops, we also produce laptops, we also produce storage systems and very high performance computing systems. So it's a vast array of different solutions that we can bring, and it's just exponential with our partner ecosystem and also our system integration uh, partners to be able to provide
0: solutions that a lot of our customers don't realize we can really do. So I have to ask, when you talked about your, I think, fairly large geographic area that you cover, are there other counterparts that are doing the same thing with you with as you do with other areas in the country and the globe?
1: Yes, yes, there are. So my team has uh, four other individuals with similar uh, in-depth experience in state, city, and county government. And then there's also K-12 and high ed um, leaders that work specifically in the SLED market space, the state, local, and education market space. So we work as a cohesive team to make sure that our customers are really getting the best and also getting the depth of experience that uh, we can bring to them to make sure that they're getting what they're they're most interested in
0: receiving. And as you uh, converse with your your peers and others, do you find that the trends across the globe are very similar? Oh, well, in the U.S., the I
1: understand the trends very well. In uh, Canada, where I tend to focus, the the trends are similar, but the government structures are a little different. And then when I look at, like, EMEA or uh, APJ, and I look at how their governments and how their local uh, officials are interacting with their citizenry, there tends to be a great difference in that area because of the the difference in the way that human rights are looked at or the way that private citizens and their privacy rights are looked at. So from a policy perspective or from a a way that the systems can be used, it varies by region according to what the uh, the local population and or the government institutions uh, have enacted as their laws. So it does vary
0: from uh, region to region. I was asked a question a long time ago about what I thought was the, the biggest technological outcome that would impact government. And the Years ago when I was asked that, I thought cloud computing. Um, I assume that's still right up there in terms of the shift between on-prem. How does that affect your company?
1: Well, from a cloud perspective computing perspective we're really the enabler for most clouds and also we're the enabler for the private cloud to public cloud so we we are the underlying layer that enables a multi-cloud environment to actually work so a lot of times our customers look at us and say well i'm moving to the cloud why are you even talking to me well yeah, they, they're they're not realizing that it takes multiple steps and also, once they get to a pure cloud approach, they may not necessarily really like it, and they may want to back off and be a multi-cloud. We've had customers that have gone both directions. They've completely transitioned to the cloud, and then we've had customers that have transitioned to the cloud, and then completely transitioned back, and then we have some that are in between. So. It depends on what that customer wants to accomplish, and it comes down to a workload consideration. What does your citizen need? What is the performance expectation? And how can the compute and the storage meet that need? And that's, that's really what we try to do, is make sure that our, that the customer's customer is happy with the performance of the solution that they're getting.
0: That's very interesting. So I have to also ask, one of the big issues here at NASIO is, um, workforce uh, challenges uh, you you must be finding a lot of turnover in many of your contacts you're seeing local governments both cities and counties and state uh, scrambling to fill seats trying to find talent and trying to keep talent is this something that uh, concerns you well
1: as a former practitioner as someone who loves the citizenry and someone who, who wants the best for them it does deeply concern me because we have to enable the, those who have a like-minded heart and mind to help our citizens get the best from their local governments and from their state governments. We have to find a way to enable those individuals that want to help their fellow citizen to have an occupation that challenges them to be able to engage in an environment where they are supported and it is a real challenge for our local governments and also our state governments to not um, feel discouraged that when they invest in someone that they're going to just leave after they get trained and i think that's something that they just can't worry about they have to give them the greatest opportunity and once you give that person the greatest opportunity to be successful in their position I think most people will be surprised that they'll want to stay and they'll want to do that next thing and that next greater thing in the institution they're in and they won't want to jump ship. So in my opinion, if you invest in your people, you treat them well, they're going to want to stay.
0: One of the things, and that makes so much sense, one of the things I I do here and I write about is the role of managed service providers um, filling the gaps. And I'm assuming you have partnerships with the larger companies as well. I think that's going to be a growing trend. What do you think? I certainly do think so. The managed service providers
1: uh, provide a tremendous service to our institutions. And it, it makes perfect sense because if you have a specialty in a given area and it doesn't make sense for our local or our state governments to build the personnel to provide that specialty, then it makes perfect sense to do the managed service provider route. And then over time, if the local or state government decides that they want to have a workforce that has that specialty, they can build it. It's, it's certainly something that, that is certainly uh, able to be done over time. Uh, and. I really believe that a lot of the state governments, and the city and the county governments, they should really look hard at what are they doing, how are they doing it, and should they leverage a managed service provider to accomplish their immediate need and then determine when when, and if they actually want to build that competency themselves.
0: Well stated. I, I personally believe, based on my experience, um, that it no longer makes sense for every small, tiny local government to have their own IT infrastructure anymore. Um, They can't scale it, they can't staff it, they can't protect it, despite some very dedicated people. And I'm not even saying that there's not a need for IT at the local level. It just means there needs to be a better way to deliver the services. And I think what you just mentioned kind of gets to the heart of that.
1: I agree with you wholeheartedly. You know, from a Dell's perspective, I was flabbergasted at the amount of service offerings that Dell does. I had no idea. As a former state CIO and a city and a county CIO, I just didn't know that Dell did all of these things. So, you know, it, it makes perfect sense. And Dell has continued to evolve its offerings to provide a service at a price point at the level of need for the cities and counties right in line with what, what we've just been discussing to handle those needs that they have and then they can decide if they wanna go ahead and build out their workforce for that purpose.
0: Cool. So we've talked about cloud computing, issues of workforce, we've talked about the, the rise of the need for managed service providers, but the big buzz here and everywhere across the globe, especially in the tech world, is chat GPT or generative AI. What do you think? How is that going to transform the way we do things? Well, I think
1: it's really going to enable a lot of hidden data or siloed data and also hidden competency and understandings to be revealed to the public in a positive or in a negative way. So publicly available content, uh, generative AI that is able to be used by the public can be very interesting, it can be very positive, but it can also be very negative if it happens to get into data stores that it should not. At Dell, we specifically are enabling our customers to benefit from uh, generative AI and to also benefit from digital human interfaces, but we do it in a controlled way that protects the customer and protects the customer's needs and wants and also enables the customer to provide the data and the interface, the interaction that they want to have with their citizens. So I think that it can be a very positive thing if implemented appropriately, but it can be very harmful
0: if they if they, the appropriate safeguards are not put in place. I agree, and I also would say it could also be misleading. Um, I did a podcast, uh, SharkBytes.net, a few episodes ago where I asked Uh, I actually had an interview on this podcast and I asked, what do you know about me? And it had 50% wrong. So, I mean, it had me as a lawyer, I am not. It had me with a degree, a doctorate at a place that I did not have one. And I thought, this is kind of scary. And so you're gonna hear it here. Based on that and what you just said, I wanna coin the word zero trust AI. Because we have to find better ways to verify what we're seeing, both from a misleading, uh, inaccurate, or harmful manner. And then kind of you said that too. No, I agree
1: with you wholeheartedly. I, I think that that's the right way and the right approach to take. Um, Dell specifically has been implementing uh, zero trust capabilities and also has a an institution or an organization all around zero trust to enable our customers to leverage that organization, to leverage that... Uh, collaboration to, to find the best way to implement zero trust for them. And we certainly should take that same approach with uh, generative AI to make sure that the content and the way that the content is being delivered is not only accurate, but is also in the way that the citizen is wanting that content to be delivered to them.
0: Great. So you heard it here. Zero trust AI. <laughs> Matter of record. Eric, I want to thank you for sharing your time uh, away from this wonderful conference here at NACIO.
1: Thank you, Alan. I really appreciate the
0: opportunity to talk with you. This has been a production of the QAMTIA Public Technology Institute. To learn more, visit connect.comtia.org and search public sector.